Cornerstone Center for the Arts, where art and community come together. You are now listening to The Cornercast, the official Cornerstone Center for the Arts podcast with event updates, special guests, music, and more. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Cornercast, and we are going to be interviewing the artist of the month for April right now, and his name is Matthew Blanchfield. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? I have no idea. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm feeling great. Hey, uh, I just wanted to ask you, I've, I've just been talking to Matt here for a few minutes. Uh, I, when I first started working at Cornerstone, I initially met Matt, and we kind of covered all of our bases as far as our beginnings as artists in, uh, in both of our fields. And uh, I just recently had a conversation with him, and I, I really want to uh, address the fact that he told me he's been an artist since he was two years old. Could you uh, let me know what can what do you remember about doing art at that young, and and do you remember any of what you liked to draw back then or paint back then? Okay, um, when you're two, <laughs> you use whatever materials available. Right. And from what I was told, it was in my diapers. <laughs> oh no. Oh yeah. See, I'm the youngest of four. All right. My sister was invited to the Olympics trials at the age of 16 due to traveling because a coach came by. Uh-huh. My father worked for Nationwide Insurance, and Nationwide was covering the Olympic Games mm-hmm. for the American team. Assistant coach came by and saw my sister throw a football 60 yards to my brothers. Right. So they asked her to go. My parents said, no, she's way too young and whatever. Right. But uh, she led the New York City Catholic High School League in scoring in basketball. Uh, my brother Terry ran a 424 mile as a freshman. Hmm. My brother Mike was an all-around athlete, plus he was, uh, well, you've seen the movie Beetlejuice. Right, yeah. Well, my kids thought it was based upon their Uncle Mike. <laughs> hey, it, this is no joke. So, unlike a lot of people, I had to find my own niche. Right. And my brothers and my sister and my parents helped me. Right. You know, they'd bring home volumes of paper, pens, pencils, and whatever, because I get off in my own little world. Right. And I draw army men. Uh, I'd go outside, play with army men. Mm-hmm. Whenever I wanted a crippled army man, I gave it to the dog to chew up and said, ooh. Then I'd buy more army men because all of them would chew it up. Right. But, you know, I just, you, you kind of start that way because you spend a lot of time alone without people. So you, you create your own world. Right. So I started to do that, you know, sword fighting, all these things that, you know, I couldn't do. I would put down on paper, and my family got along with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a Catholic grammar school. I went to a Catholic high school. I got three awards from New York Times for cartooning for the Catholic wow. high school newspaper. But, you know, those, in, those were the days that when you went to a high school and you could do something different than everybody else, you got involved in everything. Mm-hmm. So I was art editor of all their publications. You know, I did that. I went to college. Uh, like I told you before, I went for three and a half years. And then with that one semester left, I quit school because I got my dream job as an artist. I was doing uh, fine china. And what I would do is before scanners, before everything else was Bradford Mint, Norman Rockwell uh, Foundation, all these other people would say, hey, can you copy this or come up with a new design? Mm-hmm. I would do the design work. Um, send out 
photos of that design work when they okayed it. I did the photography work and what have you, and then my firm would print it up. Hmm. It was a great life, and then computers came by and destroyed my life. Thank you for the pain. <laughs> Thanks for those technological advances. Those uh, sometimes uh, the practical—it's just like the effects in the movies. It's like right. when the computers arrive, all the old practical effects. You know, those uh, the blood splashes in horror movies are are like now they're computer generated, and people are reacting to things that aren't there. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like the scene in Psycho where the stabbing scene. Right. Because it was just—it's subtle. It's subtle, but it has more right. of an effect. Right. And it's like going overboard with all the visual effects sometimes kind of just like cheapens it all. So uh, the next step in your evolution as an artist after you got that, that dream job and, uh, and you ended up finding your way to Cornerstone, uh, could you uh, paint a picture, no pun intended, for that series of events? Oh, that was a bad pun. <laughs> oh, that, 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 was, that was bad. Um, what basically happened is I married a nice beautiful, intelligent girl who therefore divorced me. What? I'm being serious. Really? Oh, yeah. That changed it? That, that? Well, see, everybody has their own things in life, what they want to do. Right. I only wanted was a nice family unit. Right. Mm -hmm. And things didn't work out. You undergo this normal depression or whatever right. as you're working. Yeah. And I met, I met Quaker Oats Instant Family. Oh, she's, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. She, uh, Susan, uh, my two oldest kids, and I have to admit, I got I got married the old-fashioned way, like my whole family. Shotgun worked for us, mm. and I therefore I have a great marriage. Mm. And I tell everybody, my wife's marriage needs work, <laughs> but I honestly had a great marriage, and I started to settle down. Yeah, which is kind of what happens. Uh, there was a point in my life where my wife said, "I can go out with my friends, but my face had to stay home." You would think at five foot five, I didn't have to duck, but I did. So we went for jobs and for a place to live we could afford with four kids. Right. And in New York City area, just north of New York City, that was not the place. Right. So we moved to Ohio. I had been in New York, like I told you before, I was a political editorial cartoonist amongst other jobs. Mm -hmm. I did some illustrations for a few, few periodicals and what have you. Yeah. We moved to Ohio. My wife got transferred to Indy came out to Indy, belonged to a few galleries, and became a pre-press manager and signing company and whatever. Finished my degree, mm -hmm. and again, you're bringing up the pain where I had to pay back my student loan. <laughs> again, I thank you for that, that's twice now. Reopening those old wounds, huh? Ah, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry about that. 262 credits later, and uh, I started teaching at Ivy Tech on the side besides doing my pre-press job. Mm -hmm. Then my, my uh, dream job happened where I went to North Carolina, back to the East Coast, where I have family all throughout. Mm -hmm. And because it was my dream job, I left in 2008 and recession happened and I got mm -hmm. uh, taken, the job taken away from me for the first time in my life in my 50s. Mm -hmm. Our parents were going on, so we moved, moving on, so we moved to upstate New York to take care of them and still was in galleries and whatnot. Uh, I illustrated children's book, did a few other things. You know, whatever I could to bring money into the house. Right. You know, it's, when they say starving artist, you could always find something to do. Right. But you could still have that desire to do the other things. So from there, we went to Florida, thought our kids could come and visit, only our oldest son could do so. So we ended up, when a hurricane happened coming up here, and one of our children said, you know, we really need you close by. So boom, mm -hmm. 
we got three kids in the area. We got all seven grandchildren. We came up and uh, my wife transferred to a job that she could do in Anderson. And I started to work at GTI in Anderson, besides doing artwork on the side. And what happened was they had an ad here in Cornerstone, they needed teaching artists. And I was like, I can teach, I can teach. Give me a job. <laughs> oh, that's not singing. That's, like I said, I'm 65. I, I got pains in areas of my body we shouldn't talk about. So every so often that comes in. <laughs> I feel you. But um, I did want to mention that uh, Matthew, Matthew Blanchfield's art will be showcased on the second floor of Cornerstone Center for the Arts in the Judith Barnes Memorial Art Gallery during the whole month of April. So you can come in and check him out. And I wanted to ask you, like, as far as the works that you're going to be displaying in the gallery, uh, are they going to be one specific topic? Is there a theme or? No, no. What, what basically happens is that your mood changes, your theme changes. Like mm -hmm. I said, with, with you, with your hip hop work, Mm -hmm. You know, you can come back and you can look and boy, was I in a bad place when I did that. Right. My wife has now refused me to do any paintings of her when she's away on vacation. She said, no, I can't do it anymore. So, you know, you, you put it aside, then you look at it. And sometimes you look at it and say, wow, I did a wonderful job. By memory, huh? Oh, God, then it, it looks great. And then you look at others, you thought you did a great job. And you're like, OK, I'm starting a fire in the back. Mm. Don't come by. But it's, it's nice, and teaching here gives a different type of fun to it because I always felt that if a student doesn't do well, it's the teacher's fault. Right. Mm -hmm. So you constantly have to adjust trying to hit their hot button, and a lot of times you don't succeed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times uh, they may even just quit, and you don't know why. And right. But when you do succeed the one or two times, it really, really, it helps your ego. Right, that's really true. A couple of pieces of art that you brought in today, are these gonna be in your gallery? Yeah, um, you know, over the years you accumulate so much stuff. Uh-huh. And you sell a bit of it, but other bit you accumulate and sometimes you rework it. Right. Uh, for instance, I've done, I'm on my sixth painting of the Lord of the Rings tree beard and the ant. Oh man, Because I, I sold the first five. Yeah, I'd like to see that, yeah. So, it's just different, they're all different sizes, there'll be drawings, there'll mm -hmm. be, most of it's fantasy, some of it's landscapes, some of it's lighthouses, because my wife likes lighthouses. Fantasy, I got more involved in, because I've liked it, and my children like it. Right. You know, I'm a boring artist. People come in and say, well, you know, this shows the life and poverty of this certain the semblance of interpretation. The interpretation. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm like, why'd you draw it? Because I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you, though. I mean, I, it's the interpretation of the, uh, the receiver is often different than the person that's the creator, you know? Yeah. I've noticed that uh, that's why I think it's great that people have those perspectives. It's like with music, it's like if someone gets something out of a song that the artist himself didn't intend, it's just like he put it out there to be judged by the public anyway. So it's like whatever you get out of it, as long as it's, you know, helping some some way or or it's it's giving you some kind of image of beauty in your mind or heart or soul, then hey, it makes, it, me, it works. makes me feel good, yeah. yeah. As long as you get some kind of response. Yeah. Um, so do you find, with your fantasy work, do you find that you uh, invent things in your own mind, or more often than not, are you uh, painting images of, of characters that are already out there in the, in the world? Well, you know, you invent from your own mind. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, which I've done a lot of. Was it by request? Well, what happens is I did a lot of it before the movie. Mm -hmm. Being an old fart, you can say that. But the person who did the casting 
did a lot like what I pictured the people to be anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, hobbits, I just felt they were me with bigger feet and hairier feet. You know, and they like to eat and drink, and I, I said, I can work with that. So it, it, it's, you know, and a wizard's a wizard, and right. it, just, it just perked my interest because the books came out long before I was born. Yeah. But I started reading them in fifth and sixth grade. Yeah. And there are some things that get you where you, like an old movie, you'll turn it on a couple of times a year. Right. These are books I'll reread every year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a comfort zone type of thing. So I try to do it. And plus when you do artwork, similar to what you do, mm-hmm. you know, it's what's going to come out. If I knew exactly what was going to come out on the canvas or mm-hmm. the paper, why would I do it? So you don't do much commissioned artwork? I, it depends upon the time. Oh, okay. I've uh, done a bunch of it. When we lived in Florida, I had my own studio, mm-hmm. and uh, I was doing quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Whether it be paintings of dogs, paintings of people who were deceased in their favorite areas, uh, mm-hmm. couples together. Uh, I made a living by, you know, people give me five different shots of a family and combining them into one canvas. Mm-hmm. Nice. And plus, I do my own work, too, and, and see what happens. Um, I'm good enough so I was able to make a living for my four children and my wife. Yeah. Not good enough to be, you know, known, but good enough to work at it. So that, that means a lot. I think, I think you're pretty great at what you do. I, I'm really impressed by uh, Matt's work. And uh, once again, you can see his art during the whole month of April at Cornerstone Center for the Arts, 520 East Main Street, on the second floor in the Judith Barnes Memorial Art Gallery. Do you have a website? Basically, you can see me on Facebook. Facebook? Elfin Touch Elfin Touch Art. E-L-F-I-N-T-O-U-C-H-A-R-T. Elfin Touch Art on Facebook, and you can see some of his work. What percentage of the artwork that you have in the gallery is going to be fantasy? You notice I keep harping on the fantasy stuff because I'm really, really a fan of the fantasy stuff. Uh, Probably a third. A third? A third, maybe more. I, You know, I have to go through everything at home, which I'm starting to now. Right. You know, blow the dust off, get the cobwebs mm-hmm. off, find the dead mice, get rid of that. You know, <laughs> there's a few things I got to do. Yeah. So uh, when you had your studio down in Florida, uh, how long did that did that last? And what was that experience like? Did you? Did oh, you that like- was a lot of fun. That was about uh, that was about the year and a half we were down there. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was in like a, this gigantic flea market, and you mm-hmm. rent a space, and people would walk by, and it was great because little kids would come by behind you, mm-hmm. and I zone out everything. Right. Uh, it, it started in New York when I would be commissioned by the uh, state of New York to work various functions at the state capitol. Right. And they'd have me outside of Barney and Bailey, Barnum and Bailey's circus. Mm-hmm. And I would do portraits. Mm-hmm. And it would be nonstop because they paid for it and it would be free for the individuals. Right. And for instance, I would do probably about 80 portraits in about three hours. These are just quick. Nice. So the people couldn't get hurt, but it's, it was so bad that I went out afterwards and being of Irish ancestry, went to grab a beer and the beer dropped through my hands <laughs> because it cramped up. Right. All that work, huh? But it, it, you know, it's fun because you see, you see, you try to do a baby, babies don't keep still. Right. You know, so the baby would all of a sudden start falling on its side. So you would take your art pad and start falling on the side <laughs> and people got really, really comfortable and fun with just watching me yeah because as the baby was animated well of course so am i 
so this was a like an open air flea market type situation no I, no I actually it, it was inside oh okay but it in was florida just, it was this gigantic uh people just come in and walk around to people the, come in and walk around when it was open and uh i was it got to the point where you know i was able to make over two grand a month i mean that's great i mean that's a blessing uh to me i love hearing it when artists can do what they love doing and, and get paid for it I think it's great to, to get paid doing something you love doing. Well, yeah, and it's my, it's like when I was out in Indianapolis before, I uh, I was in a few galleries in Cincinnati and here, and I was in a few guilds, artist guilds, mm -hmm. and a painting that I would spend oh, 20 or 30 hours wouldn't sell, and I was charging like for five bucks an hour. Right. And then I got a position for Ruth, Chris, and Carmel, hmm. where I did caricatures of the people hmm. and I made three grand in a month nice oh yeah I mean hey sounds like a like a good gig to me the other two-thirds of your uh, your gallery what do those consist of as far as the the style or the images I'm selecting some of it um, mm -hmm. see when I paint I show it to my wife or my kids right if they smile it's good right if they don't smile I just throw it away <laughs> you throw it away uh, or restore it away. Or, rest uh, or store it away, probably, <laughs> and take it out later. And it's like, ooh, they're right. <laughs> so have you ever actually disposed of and thrown away, literally, art? We all have. Yeah, I know I have. You know, when you, you have that weird time when you're frustrated? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and sometimes you dispose of it in the most violent manner you can. But you know what? Is that I found that things that I w were almost ready to throw away... Because I, I started off as a visual artist when I was younger, but... I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I used to draw. I wanted to go to school for comic book art. I uh, used to draw with pencils and ink. I would ink it, pencil it, and I would color it in with colored pencils. I used to draw pictures all the time. I was more into, like, superheroes, monsters type stuff. Oh, sure. So that's why I relate to the, the fantasy thing. But uh, I found out, in my experience, that sometimes that piece, whether music or art, that you are, like, disappointed in might be the one that someone is like, wow, I want that. <laughs> Huh. What also happens too is you find out uh, a good friend of the family's, uh, Rick Ricky. He went back to he went to Vietnam twice. Mm -hmm. He passed away unfortunately, and uh, his brother. I saw him at my father's wake. Came by. I said, "You don't know it, but uh, you did." We had a thing called Monostel Square Garden. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was a hoop on a street pole, mm -hmm. but we all played. And then as we got older, we would I'd rent out a gym. Mm -hmm. And then we'd get together and then go out afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I would make flyers for it. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, I found one. He had your original of mm -hmm. one of them. Original flyer? Original flyer, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that's surprising because he mm -hmm. didn't even play basketball. Right. But, uh, you know, and you go to other old friends' houses and, hey, wow. let me show you this. And it's like, you don't even remember you ever did that. Yeah, vintage stuff. And, and they haven't. And you say to yourself, why couldn't I? I was so good then. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> I totally uh, feel what you're saying because it's like sometimes those uh, you take a look back at your past work and it's like, wow, like I had, uh, I, I don't like to talk about it like in terms of I'm not as good as I was then, but it's like, it's just that uh, there's a certain freshness to it that you can see yes. when you when you look back. Is there anything else you would like our listeners here at the Cornercast to know about Matthew Blanchfield and his uh, upcoming uh, projects? Well, I honestly, I would prefer you talk to my wife or my kids. <laughs> They're far more interesting. They're 
My wife's gorgeous, so yeah. Um, just come down and see my work. Yeah, definitely. Come down to, once again, the uh, Cornerstone Center for the Arts, 520 East Main, and that is the second floor. Uh, this is in Muncie, Indiana. Judith Barnes Memorial Art Gallery, and Matt's work's gonna be there the entire month of April, so come and check that out. And just one thing, anything you want, there's no set prices in stone. Nice. If you're friends, you'd be surprising how low I'll go. Right. That's a, <laughs> the, hey, that's a, that's a major bonus right there because this is some great artwork, and you'll be able to see that on cornerstonearts.org here pretty soon. It's going to be posted so you can get a preview before you come down and check out the gallery. But it, trust me, it's uh, some very uh, impressive work here. Matt Blanchfield, I appreciate you coming through, man. Hey, nice seeing you again. Nice seeing you again. Thanks. This is John Coffey with the Cornercast, and for our mic check segment on this episode, we have a special guest, Carter Minton from Audio Discrepancies, and we're going to discuss his background as a musician and uh, some events and projects he has coming up. How you doing today, Carter? I'm doing well. What about you? I'm doing great, man. I uh, really appreciate you coming through. Uh, yeah, I want to thank you for having me. Oh, definitely. Now, Audio Discrepancies played the first Cornerstone open mic night and gave a great great performance got really good responses and uh i really enjoyed it so uh you know i've been kind of following them online and uh they have some things coming up here at cornerstone they actually have a background uh with cornerstone center for the arts with the rock camp is there any uh anything you'd like to say about that carter oh yeah absolutely uh one of our guitarists gus um me and him actually met at at a cornerstone rock camp uh mm -hmm. through uh chris swinney and uh, I've known him for years, probably since like my sophomore or freshman year. And uh, he, I just kind of carried me and him, always knew each other. We played in a band together before Audio Discrepancies wasn't any good, but <laughs> then we, then we uh, carried on to our current project. And um, I got my senior pictures in this building. Nice. Um, and then obviously we rented out um, the room um, uh, just a couple, couple doors down and had a show there. And, Was it uh, the Majestic Room? Yes. Okay. Uh, and then that was a lot of fun too. Yeah. And uh, could you tell me a little more about uh, you guys are planning? I don't know. Should I pull the blanket off of this? Is, oh uh, yeah, you can. Okay. The uh, <laughs> audio discrepancies is planning a uh, actual music fest. Um, so I'll let him go ahead and speak on that. I don't know all the details, but uh, I did want to ask how many bands are involved in that. Um, so far, it's really early in the planning stage. We've thought about it for a while. We've we've had the idea since like January, mm -hmm. and. Um, we're trying to shoot for it when school is in session and uh, with April and prom and, and everything. It's it's it, yeah. We're trying to shoot for April, but if not, it's going to be in August. And it just depends on um, how many how many bands are interested in, in the time frame that we have. What What's your goal for the amount of bands? What, what would you My aim for? My goal would be a minimum of seven. Seven, okay. Um, that, that would be the absolute goal. And, I, and I've talked to some um, 
local artists, um, so some of which you've had on the podcast, like uh, right. like Gutter Punk, uh-huh. and um, and he he said he would he would be interested. Um, Range Line, Leisure Hour, um, even some bands from Fort Wayne that we've talked to, um, like Man of the Flood. Um, so I'm hoping that when we get this thing wrapped up um, and 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 get it actually out of the planning stage, that it can be a really cool um, music event. Definitely, uh, festivals are always great, and we're coming out of the the trying to come out of the COVID era. So, you know, everything's starting to open up. The mandates are being dropped left and right, state to state. So hopefully this will be a new era of performances. I know a lot of musicians are out there itching to get on stage. And uh, Leisure Hour, you mentioned, I definitely would like, if you're listening, Leisure Hour, I want to get you on the podcast and have you perform at the at the open mic. But uh, as far as audio discrepancies, uh, could you give a breakdown of, like, your inspirations? Or basically, how did you get into music? Uh, yeah, so uh, Jarrett, who is the other guitarist, uh, Gentry, who's the bassist, uh, me and those guys, we met through uh, marching band at my school. So okay. I, I went to Cowan, and they went to Westdale, and we merged for a summer marching band program because both of our schools were small. <laughs> nice. And uh, so they both played trumpet, uh, and Jarrett, was, Jarrett happened to be in the pit that year, so me and him bonded, and we just kept each other's contact. We played in, like... I don't even know if you'd call it a band, but me and him played in a band together, and then um, that fell through. And then how I met Gus is uh, through Cornerstone at mm. uh, Rock Camp, and then me and him were in a band, and then that fell through. And then uh, me and Jarrett started jamming um, about maybe a year ago, and uh, it started with just me and him, and I was playing on like a suitcase drum set. The bass <laughs> drum was a suitcase, and the <laughs> snare drum was like 10 inches. It was real small. <laughs> And uh, he he wrote he wrote um, we were writing a variety of riffs. He had some jazzy stuff, kind of some Grateful Dead type stuff. Right. And then he wrote um, a riff to one of our songs. Um, he had it for years, but then he showed it to me, and it's in seven, and it's like real almost like punky. Mm-hmm. And now it's our song uh, called Big Fish. And uh, so then Gentry. Um, he he had gotten married, and he was in the electrical union, and he kind of quit bass. And uh, Jarrett was like. Uh, hey, I think I can get him out of retirement. Uh-oh. So, so then he came and jammed with us, and 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 he, uh, he was just great. He's the best bass player I've ever seen. Nice. And uh, so then we tried out um, two guitarists that I knew, and Gus was Gus was the second one, and I knew that he would kill it, and it just clicked. And then so we didn't know any vocalists, and we met David through um, a uh, musician app called Vamper. Yeah. And it's, they call it, they brand it as Tinder for Musicians. <laughs> and so... Uh, you, That's interesting. Yeah, I know. And uh, you find uh, a variety of musicians from um, a variety of different backgrounds. You can find producers, bass players, whatever. Nice. And uh, we met him on there, and he came out. And we tried out a guy, and we're like, okay, this guy's, this guy's pretty good. Um, we know he's going to be our singer. Then David came in, and we were like... Oh word, we're gonna have to rethink that. <laughs> so uh, David, David was uh, definitely the clear choice, and that's and the current lead vocalist, right? Yes. Okay. And David, David writes all the lyrics. Um, he's a brilliant lyric writer, and, and he's uh, real into writing concept albums. So this album that w- we're working on currently on the mix, it's it's recorded. I'm really excited to get it out. Um, concept it, albums are great. Hist- yeah. Historically, most concept albums are, have legendary appeal for for some of ma- the major artists. You know, strangely enough, I've had some music fans in the past tell me they didn't like concept albums because they kind of want to lose themselves in just the music without having to tie, you know, think about a concept. But I mean, come on, man. 
yeah. concept albums are great. Yeah, I and and he's the way he did it. He wrote like an allegory over um, the the problems that capitalism is causing, and mm-hmm. and, and it's like a real. Uh, it has a real strong message to it, but it's also like. He, he's also continuing that into more albums that we're writing right. um, the, to continue this story. And um, the story, see, because I'm a drummer, you know, I'm behind him. I, yeah. I, I couldn't hear all the lyrics. But then when I was mixing the demos for the demo CDs that we uh, put out, and I could, like, hear the lyrics and I was reading them, I was like, oh, my gosh, this yeah. is, like, very powerful. And um, I'm really, really excited for people to start figuring it out. And people are starting to mm-hmm. because of the demos. Like, right. people have been like, yo, this is about this? And, and I'm like, yeah. Like, it's, it's really exciting to see people figure it out. It's great because uh, my opinion on music is the mystery of the music is what attracts fans because mm-hmm. the if you can do something great that is unique and hard for others to do, it's going to draw them to it because they're going to want to learn from you and they're going to want to study you and try to understand what you've done. Uh, so I definitely appreciate albums that have songs that are like chapters in a book and albums that are like volumes and, you know, like a set of books because depth is always it gives the music staying power because you could listen to it 10 years later and mm-hmm. and discover something you didn't know beforehand as far as uh the band could you uh give me uh all the band members names and what role they play in the band for our listeners yeah absolutely so uh gus davis he's a guitar player we really don't have a lead guitar they kind of switch but he's a guitar uh, stage stage left mm-hmm. <laughs> usually um, Gentry Gentry Hoyt he's the bass player um, Jarrett Whitehead other guitar player uh, gu- guitar stage right mm-hmm. um, and then uh, David he uh, sings and writes all of the lyrics he also plays guitar but um, he doesn't he doesn't play guitar live he, he wrote um, the riff to uh, floating city cities of gold which uh, he actually has on his soundcloud or in his personal soundcloud mm. and it's completely changed like we completely changed really it. yeah mm. and then i'm carter mitten and i play drums and write guitar riffs for the band nice <laughs> it's a i mean it's a it's a great team and uh where can uh, our listeners hear you or see you next uh, so, uh we have some uh, shows coming up uh, at be here now uh potentially april 1st um we get, uh, we're planning a bunch of shows. Um, we've emailed a bunch of places, but right now we're currently taking a break to mix the album. We have a lot of projects coming up. We mm-hmm. have a, a tribute coming up. Um, we have a uh, tribute to who? We talked uh, about this before yeah, the interview, but let's yeah. get it, let's get into that. Uh, tribute to our favorite band, uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna uh, Nonagon Infinity turns six, I believe, this year, um, and we are uh, Nonagon Infinity is an album where each song goes into the next and then it loops so it's like a one big song and we're gonna try to challenge ourselves with the band's lineup with two drum set players three guitarists harmonica and uh, keys Um, and we're gonna try to do the entire thing live and have our album release be around there and Mm -hmm. uh, be able to like post it on their uh, reddit and so hopefully we get some of the gizzard fans they check us out and uh, listen to the album to the listeners all all uh inspiring musicians or artists you have to challenge yourself and you have to be you know make sure that you challenge yourself using your inspirations because that's what pushes the art forward so uh among your inspirations who else would you uh list uh uh among the band or me personally you personally me personally uh my my all-time favorite artists are i really like the dead kennedys yes um they're absolutely amazing mm-hmm. uh i really like kendrick lamar uh red hot chili peppers got me into music i think chad smith mm-hmm. is a phenomenal definitely drummer 
Um, I really like Caius. Um, I really like Frankie and the Witch Fingers mm-hmm. a lot. I, I really listen to everything in a, a very diverse um, group of people. I'm, I, I really like Tool. Um, Danny Carey Definitely. is a monster. You, you told me before the interview that uh, you guys actually got brought together around the uh, admiration of one particular band that you mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, mostly uh, over King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. Uh, that's, since we all listen to a variety of different genres and King Gizzard, every, every album is like a whole different genre. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for us to bond over that. Yeah. And they also have like 17, 18 albums out and they've only been a band since 2012 so it's like you're constantly listening to the right. new music and and we, so we all disagree on like what's the best album right but we can all like it and uh, and appreciate that so that that that's what i would say is our like commonality right um like uh me and gus really like nirvana but gentry's mm-hmm. like if you guys ever ask me to play a nirvana song i will quit the band <laughs> and then <laughs> it's the same for david david really likes radiohead right and, and gentry's uh, radiohead. like that's the joint right and there. gentry's like hell no I, I don't mess with Radiohead. So there are diverse musical tastes oh, throughout yeah. the band, and that's I bet that creates a more diverse tapestry when it. I mean, it could it could be a blessing or a curse because I mean, have you guys had any crazy arguments about the direction of songs? Uh, not not any crazy arguments. I mean, I would say like the casual like banter right. like, um, but usually we're 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 pretty we're pretty good working with each other and we write really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. and and since we all like different genres, like currently we're writing two albums while we're mixing this one and one is sort of like a darker sound um to this first one and the other one is really like progressive and funk influenced i have no idea when that's gonna be a thing because it's Mm. really like um it's such a different sound but um we're down to like experiment and try different genres but um, it's it's just like when the time is right to put that out Mm -hmm. when the time is right um and and um which but we are really excited to try to diversify ourselves and, and push ourselves to try to do different genres because, right. you know, doing one genre all the time is kind of lame. Yeah, just like <laughs> you said about your, your inspiration, it's, uh, you know, each album was like a different genre and that actually keeps it fresh. Without necessarily reinventing yourself, you're actually touching different bases and mm-hmm. you have a, a diverse group of inspirations or inspirations behind your different members so that, that makes the world your oyster in terms of music because you guys if you guys can agree upon a direction at least that's the probably the hardest part in a band mm-hmm. isn't it but once you've got that knocked out i mean you can do anything uh, that's that's what gr- what's great about art people yeah 100 you know. so uh i did want to touch on your upcoming album uh that well actually has it's been released in a limited format yes yeah, so uh it basically the album is called uh F- floating cities of gold um and, it, and uh, it's a like like I already mentioned on, it's this beautiful allegory about capitalism and how toxic it is to, to our society. Mm-hmm. And um, we still have a few left, um, but there's, I burnt, I mixed them myself. They were recorded, they recorded by um, a music media production major at mm-hmm. Ball State. They were recorded in the Ball State Studios. And um, we are now mixing it with him um, and getting the mixes to be like professionally done. But I wanted to give it a shot on my own. Right and try to rush through it so before we took this break um, people could listen to it so what I did is I mixed six of the ten songs and I burnt them individually on CDs and kind of just bootlegged them I mean each one kind of plays a little different (laughs) but um, and then uh, what we did is basically they're donation based um, Mm -hmm. and uh, 
the response to those has been absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have been, tons of people have been blaring those things. Nice. They, uh, if they paid us more than $2, we gave them a sticker and our stickers are showing up everywhere. And Great. It, it's, it's really exciting to see that. And uh, the, the, the amount that we like sold in like a day mm. was just like crazy. And, and people, uh, I'm so excited for people to hear the actual product and the songs flowing into each other, right. like how, how we actually envisioned it. But we just wanted to kind of give people that come out to all of our shows, instead of just waiting like two months right. for our stuff, that if like if you really, really like it, you know, you can have it. Yeah, that guerrilla promotion and DIY spirit is what drives independent music forward, definitely. Yes. So you, you want to get that music into the hands of the fans. Um, do you have a uh, preliminary release date for the album? I don't have an exact date. We're Coming shooting. Soon, though, we're, right. Yeah, we're shooting for April. Um, okay. I wanna, I wanna try to get a single out within three weeks, uh, hopefully sooner. Um, we we have already worked on um, the mix on one of the songs, um, which is gonna be, I, I think, our first. Well, I'm gonna kind of spoil some things, but hmm. I think our our first single is gonna be one step forward, two steps back, which. It, it should be our first because mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows the lyrics to it and it's not out on anything. So right. uh, we, we were really excited to see that. So um, fan favorite, a live song that the fans really uh, get into? May, yeah, maybe. It's kind of crazy because some people say that the fav their favorite is this song or this song or this song. Like mm -hmm. it's kind of all over the place, people's favorite. And well, I that's think, a good sign, I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think it's because all the influences are so right. are so different. Yeah. And uh, that's what I'm most proud about, about the album, instrumental mentally is uh, we were able to pack all these weird influences in it um, but while also maintaining it still sounds like a project it doesn't right, sound right. like a playlist um, and especially drum drumming wise I tried to put as many influences um, on it as I can like the first song is I play like a, a weird metal like it's, it's a disco beat but I put it like a metal thing on it and then I also do like the purdy shuffle so that's the that's the title track. Um, it it, it kind of just came naturally. We kind of wrote how we wrote the songs. We wrote them in couples. So we wrote like, okay, these two are gonna flow into each other. These two. So then right. once we got to ten, we just kind of it made the transitions for those couples to go easier. And so each two songs kind of sound similar, like sound similar, but right. then all the rest of them sound so different. But they they work together in this crazy way. Like I. I will have no problem saying I'm like working with some of the like the best musicians. Like yeah, I, I, I love the guys that are b in front of me and supporting me. You are definitely selling it well. If <laughs> listeners out there have not heard them, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find us online. We have a Facebook and an Instagram. Um, it's just audio discrepancies. That that's where you'll find all of all of the news. We're gonna try to be a little bit better about social media and we're going to start doing like lives and stuff and, mm -hmm. and uh, questions so people can ask us questions but we have a lot of stuff planned um, we're even though we're on break we're the busiest we can we have ever been we're mm -hmm. practicing the most we're, we're we're mixing we're getting working on artwork for merch um, we are extremely busy right now so um, anything that someone wants to be like updated on to see where we're where we're going to be playing um, we're hopefully working on um, getting a tour for the summer as well. Um, is going to be the, is going to be a regional tour or uh, statewide? Yeah, probably. Or, okay. um, it, wh whatever we can get, um, 
work around uh, Gentry's work schedule. We we've emailed a variety of places, and uh, we're we're working on that. But mm -hmm. any anything that anybody, if that's interests anyone, probably the best place is uh, Instagram, and then and then Facebook. And nice. we're gonna be posting pretty soon. Um, we have two like full live performances recorded mm -hmm. on on like a professional uh, TCOM camera that uh, David's cousin um, Mia. Uh, recorded and they're just privatized on our YouTube but we're waiting until uh, it's the right moment probably when we release our first single we're probably gonna put that out and the YouTube is audio discrepancies yes as well. okay yes it's audio discrepancies Do you have any of uh, the songs from the album available as of yet on streaming services not yet okay. um, that that'll that our first single every your first single will be the okay. first one um, on there um, but the, what probably will will come out first is is the the YouTube video of our first basement show ever nice. which is which is uh which she recorded which uh is has a whole special place in my heart because you know we we're all nervous we're all shaken right and <laughs> all we did was play our originals front to back and uh -huh. people really messed with it and there were like we expected 10 people to be there and there were like 45 so we were nice. like oh my gosh <laughs> and uh the best part about it was uh, some of the guys that i met from the rock camp here mm -hmm. um they're they just love, they live and breathe music. Um, uh, Dawson and uh, Skyler, uh, we told them, we were like, uh, yeah, the, Jarrett had these fake trees in his basement. And he was mm -hmm. like, he's like, if you guys are gonna mosh and destroy something, you can destroy these. So they picked up this like <laughs> fake tree and like threw it, started beating it up and everybody was like, what? So then it was like established. Like, I didn't think anybody would do any of that to our music. And then it was like established. It's like, okay, our shows are gonna be like this. <laughs> so now you introduced the destructive element. So now, yeah. now you gotta deal with it. Yeah. But that's great. That showmanship is, is uh, what plays a, great role in any good performance like I said like uh, me specifically um, I'm really tied to this building so like I want to I want to keep doing things in this building yeah um, uh, as long as we can if you ever want to come back to the open mic it's every last Friday Cornerstone Center for the Arts 520 East Main Street the EB Ball Auditorium on the first floor uh, we'd be glad to have you guys back we have one every last Friday as I just said and uh it was great talking to you, hey, Carter. Great talking to you. And uh, we'll have you back when the album drops. How about that? Sounds like a plan. Thanks, man. Carter Thank Minton, you. Audio Discrepancies. Now it's time for summer camp. There's still time to sign up for summer classes. Class registration ends Sunday, May 22nd. Classes begin the week of Monday, May 23rd and will continue through Friday, July 29th. We will also offer summer camps in June and July. Our June summer camp, Myths, Monsters, and Fantasy, will run June 13th through the 17th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Join us for an adventure into the wild of all things fantasy. From witches and wizards to aliens and cryptids, this week-long arts camp experience will feature a variety of fantastical activities for your child to enjoy. Your child's imagination will jump onto the page with demonstrations in character design and world building. Students will make their own magic through painting, drawing, glaze sculpting, poetry, and dancing. Jules Verne said in his book, Around the World in 80 Days, anything one can imagine, others can make real. 
our July summer camp around the world in 80 days will run July 11th through July 15th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Take off on a flight of pure imagination as we travel through space and time to explore the cultures of the world we live in. This week-long arts camp experience will feature a showcase of forms of artistic expression seen around the world. Move your feet to step dance from Ireland, belly dance from Saudi Arabia, and more. Then you can catch the breeze with some fabric dyeing techniques from Hawaii, or stay for story time with Bunraku and Kamishibai Theater from Japan. This arts experience will help your child form an appreciation for communities spanning the globe and the stories they have to tell. Students will not only learn how to express themselves creatively and hone their artistic skills, but they will also make lasting connections with the friends they meet along the way. Your child will be supervised by our teaching artists and camp counseling staff throughout the day. Lunch is not provided. We ask parents and guardians to pack a lunch and a reusable water bottle for your child to bring to camp each day. If your child requires special accommodations to participate, please indicate this when registering them for camp. We hope to see you there. On Thursday, May 5th, Cornerstone Center for the Arts proudly presents the opening of the Young Artists Exhibition Gallery. Join us for First Thursday to celebrate the work of Muncie's local youth artists in the Judith Barnes Memorial Gallery on the second floor, free and open to the public. Then, on May 20th, join us for the YAE Awards Ceremony as we show all of the art that participated in the competition. The 2022 Young Artists Exhibition is a juried art competition open to K-12 students throughout Delaware County. This year, we feature artwork categorized in 2D, 3D, and Intermedia. We have some talented artists this year, so you will not want to miss this. Hello, you are listening to The Cornercast. I am your lovely co-host, Samantha Santini. And I have a very special guest with us today. He is a content creator and film photographer who also performs music under the name Nusans. And he is also part of a YouTube channel called The Normies, which is the second largest YouTube channel in Indiana. Hi, Chris. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. What's up, Internet? It is me, the young analog shooter, uh, the streets, Peter Parker, Nuisance 88, a.k.a. Chris Johnson. And yeah, uh, I am here to uh, do a normal chat. We're up in Muncie where uh, the young homie Bob Ross is from. So I'm very excited. <laughs> also known as Muntucky. Oh, yeah. That's people call it. No matter how north you get, there's always, like, Indiana remains south all the way up until, like, Fort Wayne and Gary. South Bend, that's it. That's how it's a southern state until you're all the way up there. Yeah, that's basically how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for this interview. We're at the Cornerstone. Uh, can I describe this building to people? Has anyone done yes. this yet? No, so definitely do that. Uh, for everybody listening who hasn't visited this place, it is essentially um, a haunted Scooby-Doo-esque mansion type place. They said it's an old uh, Freemason building and you can tell it's very interesting. It's very beautiful, but it's got this like cool kind of vintage vibe, which I'm super into as a yeah. person who shoots film. So the building's dope. Also kind of creepy. In here before. It's really fun. Well, yeah. not in this room, but like in the building. There's so many cool places to do shoots. That's exactly what I was thinking so when I was walking up here. I was like, oh man, like looking at all the corners. I was like, eh, this place has got vibes. Um, yeah, so the building was built in the 1800s and um, they are just really 
want to preserve kind of, you know, the original aesthetic of it, which I very much appreciate because it's a very beautiful building. Your photography, I just kind of wanted to talk about um, how you got started on your photography journey. Yeah. And, um, you know, how you built your passion, your career, and, you know, what, what you got going on right now currently, like your projects and stuff. So the way I got into photography is going to be a bit of a jaunt as far as stories go. So um in 2007 I, or in 2008 i started attending iupui for audio video production in 2007 i started going to school for music uh business which was like a really weird um major at isu where they were telling us that we could be like a and r's and all these other things and it was right around when like myspace and the internet started really like popping for getting your music up and i was like these are like all antiquated jobs that don't make any sense really and they weren't convincing me that i was gonna have like a, a regular career, right? Like, I was like, this music business stuff right. doesn't sound like it's going to shake out. So I leave. Actually, I got kicked out of school, which is a fun story, too, but that's for another time. Hey, I so, dropped out, so, like, it's not, fun. <laughs> rock and roll out here. <laughs> so I end up going to IUPUI up here in Indianapolis or down in Indianapolis, and um, I do audio video production because I'm like, okay, well, if I'm making videos, because I was already doing music videos for, like, people that I did music with, and I was like, if I'm making videos, then like I think I'll be able to find like a regular job and I'll also learn how to do like this kind of technical audio stuff, which is cool. But right around that time, cameras stopped being camcorders and they started being DSLRs, right? So the uh, Canon Mark II uh, 5D had came out and I think they were shooting like TV episodes on this thing or they shot commercials on it. And everybody was like, this is kind of revolutionary because at the time uh, to get a like prosumer camcorder, it's not gonna give you the ability to have interchangeable lenses or all these different manual functions. So everybody I was going to school with was starting to buy cameras that were DSLRs because they're like, this is how we can get further into our field. So I had got, um, I think the cheapest one I could afford at the time with like my student loans and all that, still paying them back, yay, Uh, (laughs) debt for a very long time. Uh, But the one I could afford was a Nikon D31 or 3200, which was fine, right? The camera now I look it's trash absolute trash like I, I, I it was the only thing I could get so I got that and I started using it to make videos like for school projects and all this right. and I was like all right cool this is great but then as I started to learn more and more about photography in the exposure square because in order to be a good videographer you have to first be a good photographer uh, right. a video is just a bunch of moving pictures if your exposure is wrong uh, if your ISO is cranked up too high if all of the things that could go wrong in a photo but that times 10 whole minutes of it yeah, looking terrible. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I really didn't even realize so recently, um, a lot of people don't know that, like, videography and photography are, like, very similar mediums. Yeah. Like, you think it'd be common knowledge, but it's really not. Yeah, it's essentially, it's really the same practice, right? Yeah. And especially when you get really deep into to photography and you start learning about the kind of motion and energy you can bring into a shot, mm-hmm. uh, once you apply that to videography, then it's just cinematography and then, like, you're making movies. So, I think, um, a lot of people I, I hope would start to know that now so with that I got this camera and I need to learn how to use it better and I need to understand exposure better so I start taking pictures and it just kind of keeps me going from there and I'm like man this is really cool and um, so while I'm doing this the snowpocalypse of 2013 where I, right around when I had graduated uh, people had been shooting uh, manual lenses prime lenses from back in the day and I had a Nikon, and it turns out this Nikon would accept any of the old Nikon oh, primes. Yeah, that's why I love Nikon. You can use like vintage lenses, and like it's so great. Yeah, and it, that's someone told me that, and I was like, oh, so I hop on eBay or Craigslist, and I find someone selling their Nikon FM uh, camera 
for like 30 bucks. But that was your first film camera? Yeah. That was mine too. So yeah, so this camera, I get this guy, he brings it in a snowstorm, I give him the 30 bucks, it's whatever, I got the camera, and then I'm like, oh, well now I have a film camera. So um, I got this lens and I have to happen to have a film camera. So I start messing around with film a little bit and kind of trying to get a feel for it. And it was cool, it was fun. I was taking it to like CVS to get it developed and nothing really came about that and it's kind of kept going on with my career of uh, videography for a long while. And then that's when the YouTube channel happened and we'll circle back around to this, but because of the YouTube channel, I have more money and more freedom. So I'm able right. to shoot film more and able to do more, um, well, I shoot boudoir, can I mention that? Yes. All right, so I shoot a lot of uh, boudoir. I shoot a lot of projects around people's uh, bodies in general. I think that the internet's kind of scummed up the human body a bit and that uh, I agree. I'm trying to kind of break through all that stuff. I think that uh, people's got a lot of stigmas around it and they need less of it. There's no wrong way to have a body. The whole body positivity movement thing is really cool and yeah, I glommed onto that a bunch. I completely agree with that. Um, I actually had like one of my friends ask me, she's like, how are you so comfortable doing all of these like boudoir shoots and like how are you so comfortable having like naked women around you and stuff? And I tried to explain to her, like for me at least, like when you're doing like a photo shoot or like an art project and you have like nude models or like you're doing implied nudity it's like me i don't look at like the body in like a sexual way like when i'm yeah. doing that i just look at it more as like okay this is like my subject matter yeah what i need to create yeah if that makes sense uh 100 yeah. i even uh i so over 2020 i, I bought a whole bunch of books because you know we're stuck in the house so i got a book called right. uh nude theory and it's a bunch of uh different uh photographers it's actually a really cool book because they talk about like the process and which film they're shooting and it's all black and white because oh, it's from a long really time cool. ago they're even like uh, i'm shooting this film at this iso and i had to be this far away with this lens it's very technical and the pictures are really beautiful but uh these guys are just kind of talking about it and but they're talking about it from a theory perspective which is really interesting because it's like um the idea of shooting a uh, a nude photo kind of came about in a theory way for them. Like they read books about it. They went to school for it. I even got one of the books that the author was re uh, referencing. It was like a college book, but on the first two pages, it was terribly racist. So was, so you're like, okay. It was from the fifties. And I was like, well, all right, calm down book. You're like, what an introduction to that. Right. It was just like the nude was invented by the Romans when they carved statues. And I'm like, I, I don't know that the Romans were the first people in out of all of history to carve a statue of a nude person. I think yeah. there's probably plenty of other places. And it was like the Islanders of the West weren't familiar with it. And because they're always naked. And I was like, all right, book that we're two pages in. I'm just going <laughs> to set like, you okay. down. So while we're still on the note of body positivity through art, I did want to talk about a project you're working on your body quilt. So what's going on with that? And what's the process with, um, uh, so I am making quilts of um, the kind of focused photography of different uh, body parts. It was called, well, on Instagram, it was called the body quilt, but I haven't really been keeping up with it because it's really hard to post stuff like that on Instagram and Tumblr's down and all the other places. So yeah, you got a love censorship. Yeah, right. So uh, it's um, these quilts, they, they came about um, because of a joke someone said. I had my camera and they're like, you should just take pictures of people. I was like, I don't want to do that. Unless we're going to take like a bunch of pictures and like chop them up and like turn them into a quilt. I was like, that could be really cool. And then I started working on it. Uh, turns out sewing is very hard. So if you know anybody who lives in the uh, central Indiana area that is good at sewing, please tell them to contact me <laughs> because I need someone to help me sew quilts. I only need a few more to be made. I'm going to be showing them at a uh, gallery in March. Uh, you can have to follow me on social media to find out where this gallery is because the guy hasn't told me yet. But all, because of the film thing, I really got into like vintage stuff. So I'm making quilts and <laughs> just turning into a grandma. That's what's happening hey, to me. Hey, like, live your life. <laughs> I'm turning to a grandma too. Like, I've, like, 
I just have I have like ten house planes that I just randomly like <laughs> acquired. Like I'm just really into house planes now. So I have to take care of them. I'm into chamomile tea at nine o'clock. Unless oh I'm gonna gosh. go out and party, then the chamomile tea comes at midnight. Dude, so before you go back to Indy, there is a local tea shop right here downtown called Pink Leaf. Yeah. I'm drinking their lemon ginger tea right now. Okay. It's so good. So yeah, shout can out I, to Pink Leaf and your local tea. Can I buy tea from them and take it back home? Yeah. Oh, hell like, yeah. Yeah, you buy like bags like loose leaf tea. Cool, because I was worried. I didn't want to drink a chamomile tea on the way home. I will be oh. asleep off of 69. No, yeah, don't, just pulled over. Don't waste <laughs> on the highway. And then I wanted to also talk about your music. You have a single um, monologue out on Spotify. Yeah. So um, the single is just called, I think it's called Monologue uh, January 1, or it might be January Monologue. If you look up New Sense 88, N E W C E N T S 88 on. Uh, the old Spotify or Apple Music, you'll be able to find it. I got some more that I just posted yesterday that should be out by the time everybody's hearing this. Um, so I guess I'll explain January first and then I'll talk about the music. But yes. January is kind of uh, this group of musicians all online who post hashtag January and then the year. So there's a January 2022, a January 2021, 2020. If you go back and look at all these hashtags, you can find different people putting together like these kind of like little short snippets of music, usually about a minute that maybe they'll extrapolate later into full pieces. But it's just kind of a, a way for everybody to participate and decide to make music. Some people do all 31 days others do however many they can i'm a super busy person so i think i only did six or seven this year but that's the most i'd ever done hey that's still like a whole week of like creating and like putting it out by deadline like that's yeah. still I, I, was, I was surprised at myself because typically i'm like oh god i got so much going on and i only done one or two but uh that's what january is and uh the monologue one i played it on my monologue analog synthesizer can you tell that there's a theme in my life uh <laughs> so my music I had been, I was in marching band and band since uh, high, uh, junior high school, which would have been 2001 for me. So essentially I've been playing music since then. Um, I, man, I was like in kindergarten. Your kindergarten? Yeah. 2001, man, I was there. 9-11 happened, I'll never <laughs> forget. Um, but yeah, so I was in band then um, and it was great. And I started playing music and I learned about the bass guitar and I bought one and it kind of became like my main like instrument for fun. And then through school, I played the uh, baritone, the euphonium, and the trombone, which are all super similar. So that's not like a touting of how cool I am. And then I bought a guitar <laughs> and I learned how to play that. And then I started making beats, which meant that I had to become familiar with the keyboard. And uh, I wrote some rap songs and put out an album in high school. Uh, it's called Tomorrow Productions. Two M-O-R-R-O-W Productions presents Nuisance. Uh, I think it was called In the Streets. It was fun. It was me and uh, my best friend at the time just kind of doing music together. He had some turntables and he hit me up and he was like, hey, I got two turntables that my grandparents got me. So like, if you want to come I over and make that. music, I was like, hell yeah. See, that's how some of the greatest projects are. It's just like you and your friend and you guys are like, hey, I do this thing and you do this thing. So let's combine them let's and do this do them, thing. Yep. And then like some really dope stuff happens. Like, oh, I yeah. love that. I it, We actually still hang out. I just saw him yesterday. He's working on my bus, which is a oh, thing awesome. that gets flipped around later. Yes. Actually, we'll talk about that now. So you are starting um, your own sauna bus. So like, I never even heard of this until I saw your Instagram post. So like, what is it? Oh, oh, oh. All right. Uh, can we jump back around to the music after the sauna bus? So, um, all right. Well, yeah, with the music, I put some music out in high school with my buddy and then I went on to college to do music business and that didn't pan out and I was in a band a couple of times and I just kind of kept doing music off and on. Uh, I did a lot of karaoke, which is a good way to kind of get my performance need out into the world. Right. And I was doing it a lot with my best friend, John. We, we did like a bunch of karaoke at different spots. That was kind of like our thing. Like we'd go to the bar 
and we'd be like, oh, this bar has karaoke this night, this one has karaoke this night. There's a karaoke mm-hmm. circuit of people who are just good at karaoke. I hate it's people crazy. like that, genuinely. I hate karaoke people because I'm so bad at it. <laughs> and like, I hate people that like are just okay at singing, but I think they're really good, and then they make you go and do karaoke right before them so they could yeah. like, like, someone did that to me. She's like, do this karaoke. Mm. Let me tell you, here's the secret. Uh, you have to do Don't Stop Believing or Wonderwall, because no matter how bad you are, everyone in the bar sings along with you. Those are the yeah, two. See, that's actually very good advice. Those are the two go-tos. So, because everyone's like, I don't want to do karaoke. It, I understand, like, if you got stage fright or whatever. But if you're at like a, if your karaoke friends wants to do karaoke, all you need is like three songs. Your go-tos. Uh, Tequila is a good one too, because it only we has one word. We will survive. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. The next time you it was go, fun, uh, hit do tequila. It'll be a crowd favorite. You only have to say the words tequila. Tequila. This is good advice. We need, this, we need this in the podcast. The next time people take that, advice. that goes to everybody. Just put that on your playlist. So <laughs> we'd been doing that, and I was working at Sun King Brewery at the time, and I was doing their videos, and I was doing some music for the videos because when I do my videos, I like to do my own music if I have the time. And my uh, boss at the time gave me this pocket operator, which is a tiny looking pocket calculator made by this company called Teenage Engineering. Shout out to Teenage Engineering. I brought a synthesizer with me from Teenage Engineering because I love them. And we can't use it. I'm so sad. Darn. But don't worry. You guys will get to hear the music from it. I'll send it to uh, John, the editor. So we um, so I have this pocket calculator and I'm showing it to my buddy, John. And he's like, dude, let's just make like stupid songs with this thing. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do that. Like just make songs about like dancing and going out. So I got a couple of other little uh, synthesizers and pocket operators because the idea was is I didn't want to make music on my computer and then just hit the space bar and let it play, right? Because right. that's not super fun for me as, I guess, a producer. And then I was also like rapping over this stuff and he was singing and playing guitar. I wanted something to do too. And all of these little pocket operators and synthesizers have ways to modulate the sound while you're doing a show. So I got heavy into that, got heavy into like analog synths and just this kind of, it's called dollless music making. A DAW is a uh, digital audio workspace, and DAWless is just you're making music without being on your computer, because okay. your computer is very productive, but it's also very distracting. Yes, 100% <laughs> agree. So the more stuff you can do away from your computer, it's the same concept with like shooting di- uh, digital over film or film over digital. I was that talking like, about You're that, away yeah. from that. Yeah, because like digital, like you get so distracted, especially me, and like looking at the picture to make sure it's right. Yeah. Like my first digital shoot um, was actually here of Jordan. It took almost like four hours, and that's the longest I've spent on any shoot, like even with film. Yeah. Because I was so willing at the picture and like retaking like the same picture because I could like actually see it and know that it was perfect or not. But yeah, I totally agree with that. So I started um, shooting the. Uh, so I got one digital camera just because the price of film went up. I'm shooting the uh, X Pro Three. Uh, digitally but it's made like a film camera so when you shoot it it shows you the picture for a second and then it's gone and then like you have to like it, it doesn't have a screen the screen on the back you have to flip it down so you have to like okay. access the, it makes it harder for you to chimp is what they call right. it when you take a picture and look at it you just so, so yeah do you think that would be a good camera for someone who is a film photographer and wants to branch out into digital and become a hybrid shooter uh yes but also it's a dumb expensive camera okay but so it's not for, for like it. a little poorly peasant such as i no no a good digital camera and uh, just stick with film or uh, there's plenty of other good digital cameras actually another i have a nikon 5600 i think like it's not it's not bad yeah fun fact people have been getting into uh the generation actually this would be people about your age if i may be the old person now are getting into uh (laughs) digicams so like uh the kind of crappy point and shoot like canon cyber shots from like uh 2014 people are getting into that now so you could easily be shooting one of those and those things are like ten dollars 
not anymore like the price of like point and shoots like film and digital is skyrocketing because they're so mainstream now and like it irritates my soul do you know how much a contacts t2 is now yes yes i do they're probably like 2500 right now i saw one go in this like facebook group that i'm in for almost 5000 the dude selling it was serious all right well here's your other bit of advice uh the context tvs is a context camera that is the exact same as the context t2 except for it has zoom on it so okay. i got one those are like 700 dollars, which is still expensive for a point but, and shoot see i don't know but it ain't five grand and it also has the exact same lens got everything is the same as this t2 except for you know how the t2 lens like slides yeah. out this lens is just always out okay. that's the only difference and it's a zoom lens so you're looking to account to get the TVS, all right, you'll save yourself a gang of money. Spend that extra money on books and film. Man, the only bougie point shoot I had was the Yashica T4. That was an amazing God. camera. What happened to it? Because I sold it. I didn't realize. Oh, damn. Yeah. I didn't realize what I had till it was too late. Yeah. But yeah, I could never, I just can't spend much on a point and shoot. Because like in my mind, like I could use all that money to buy like a better camera or invest in like better lighting yeah. or lenses. It's like, why would I get like a point and shoot? The point and shoots are just fun to like carry around. The only yeah. point and shoot I bought before that was waterproof. And I use it for taking on like my underwater photos. And like for when it's raining outside, I want to do street photography. And that one was only 60 bucks. So yeah, there's some, you got to look, you got to look hard. The thing with point and shoots too, is that like, you can probably thrift them if you're lucky, if you're out in LA yeah, or New York or Chicago. Actually, so my friend, he's a film photographer, he got me into film, but like he goes to thrift stores like all over Indiana. He found a like a mint Rolly Flex at this like flea market in Kokomo. No. For 80 bucks. Oh my God. Ah, you know, I was in Kokomo to get my uh, vaccine and I went to two of the thrift stores there hoping, hoping to find some gems. People never know what they got. Yeah, that's See, definitely true. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my journey with me. Oh, the, oh, me and my friend were in a band, and the band was really popular around Indy, and that was really cool. And then uh, me and him went through some stuff, and the band broke up. We're still friends, uh, just life things happening. And then um, I started making music on my own, but 2020 happened, so I didn't really get to go out and perform at any, so I made a bunch at home. And now I've got some music to put out online. Ha-ha. Apple Music, Spotify. A quarantine music. Not a big okay. I because fun fact that you just make stuff and I'm like, man, this is cool. And I'll listen to it for the third time. I'm like, I hate it. I'm deleting it. I have my photos. I'll like edit photos and then like right when I finish editing all of them, I'll look at them and be like, I hate all these. And then I'll like, yep. that's why it takes me so long to get photos back to people. Like I'm trying to work on that, but like that's why. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's the artist in you. You have to yeah. for my music since I'm not making it for anyone but myself. I don't care. And but putting it out now, people are requesting more, which means that I'm gonna have to stop doing that and just yeah, put it actually. out. So yeah, eventually, especially. Especially you just you just gotta stop doing it and put it out yeah that's what i'm trying to get um in the process of doing just like not focus so much on like getting every little minute thing perfect yeah because like true art like has flaws yeah 100 if you're a perfectionist you'll just never get anything done no which is one of the things that happened to me when i was making music in high school with my friend uh he was a perfectionist so we kind of found it hard to mm-hmm. get stuff done but then we end up going to college and stuff and weren't in the same college and that guy works with me now on my sauna bus where he is my contractor all right so tell us about this sauna bus haha i did a transition (laughs) yes because i cannot do those yet (laughs) uh no it's it's good layout i also i do a podcast once a week so i'm super used to this uh but so yeah we're making a sauna bus me my wife and our friend uh we were coming back from colorado and we went to some saunas there and we all like saunas we're like dang it'd be cool if those were in indiana uh, the general concept of a sauna is um, you're going to come and get your relax on. You're going to come right. and get your chill. I think that uh, 
in America, we work very hard and we really uh, prescribe this kind of like all work, no play, like grind, 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 which isn't healthy. Look at our whole entire mental health situation in this whole entire country. And so that being able to chill out. Our generation has the worst mental health. They do. Like in history. And we're trying to get better at it. And I feel like the older generation, like uh, I got a cousin who he's 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 the same age as me, but he's got like a really older mentality. And for him, he's just like, you got to be working and like there's no time for fun and like worry. And I'm like, nah, it's toxic, bro. I'm trying to chill. That's what I'm saying. Like, what's the whole point of working? To have money. What's the point of having money? So you can do things to enjoy yourself. So right. like, if you're working and not enjoying yourself, then what is the point? Shout out to everybody who's working and saving your money and doing nothing with it. Stop it. <laughs> you got to use the money. Or I'm just give, saying, it, give it to us. Yeah. Give, give us all your savings. Get, just drop it we'll off. Do something with it. Uh, life is short. You never know what's going to happen. And you can. You don't want to die with a million dollars in a bank. No, that would suck. No, if you're going to pass it down to your kids, pass down a portion, but use your money to live. Build your generational wealth, too. Be smart with it, but don't don't feel bad about treating yourself. So the sauna bus is made to get you chill and relax, and it's at an affordable price. Uh, we haven't started running it yet, so I don't know what the price is, but it's going to be affordable, all right? <laughs> and um, it's also clothing optional. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work in Indiana. We're going to try to see if that idea works. I think people might be weirded out by it. But, I think um, it depends on the age demographic. I think as long as, like, in my opinion, if it's mostly millennials or Gen Z, you should be okay. Yeah. Because those generations are pretty much okay with that. Yeah, and I'm also thinking that maybe they'll just have, like, a clothing optional hour or day or whatever. But the sauna bus is this. You come in onto our bus, you change, you get into your sauna outfit because you're not going to be in the sauna and your street clothes and then there is a sauna in the back it is a dry finish style sauna that is built into a 72 person 72 seating bus uh it's a long bus dog nose style for anybody out there who's into buses uh i got the idea because we didn't have any land or property to build a sauna on and everybody's been converting buses into campers and i noticed that there's a ton of space and so yeah we built this bus in there uh, through happenstance, I ended up being the person who hooked up and set up all the electricity. So I'll, I now know how to set up an off-grid electrical system. I had a guy for it, and he didn't work out, and I had to figure it out on my own. Hey, this is why I wanted you on the podcast, because like you're just so wild and do like all these things. Like <laughs> this, this man really just randomly thought I want a sauna bus and made it happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm lucky because of uh, being successful on YouTube has literally given me the money to do all the other fun stuff in my life, which has been how I've been treating it. Right. Because I I got we got popular on YouTube and we'll circle back around and talk about that. But we got popular on YouTube and it is because of our talent, but also because we were lucky enough to be positioned at a place where we could all do it. And because we have so many people on our team, we were able to take people off of their regular full time jobs and add them onto it so that it would be safe. So by the time I came there, it really wasn't a risk. And I own the company, so it made sense. I'm part owner of the company. But it means that I've got this financial freedom that I've never had in my life and that because we work on YouTube, I don't know how long it's going to last. So I need to use it now to, one, obviously save money and prepare for the future and try to build generational wealth. But two, use it to do things that I wouldn't have been able to dream of in my life. So I... I own synthesizers I would have never wanted to own that I'll also, when I'm tired of them, be able to sell them for close to the price that I bought them for. Right. Same with all my film cameras. Like, I'm able to collect things that are also either going to build wealth or at least be able to be sold back for close to that price. And it's because of the financial freedom that I have because of the YouTube channel. So in that way, I'm lucky. And in that way, I don't know what anybody's going to do with that information. But if you find yourself in a position like that, try to think ahead. Um try to enjoy it if you can but also try to build for the future and so the bus was like 
if we get this bus built and it becomes a business that's sustainable and it's doing well, that's going to be really good for us in case YouTube, something happens with YouTube, in case anything happens in our lives, but also it's something that we want and that we're passionate about. And if it all goes sideways, we will have a fully converted bus that I guarantee you we can sell because people yeah. are buying and converting buses. You would just have to tear out the sauna and all that, which isn't that big of a demolition thing. And it already has solar panels built on the top, an AC unit built in on it, um, a baller baller little electrical so you would just system have like an rv for sale so yeah you yeah. could easily sell that so if push comes to shove less of a risk and still something cool i have and i guess you know if the world falls apart i'll just live in it <laughs> <laughs> like we, we don't have any other choice all right just i'll go live in it uh so yeah so um that's the sauna bus um it's gonna be around indy um uh, take it around different places in central indiana i'm probably gonna take it to music festivals i think it would do really good at like an edc or not an edc um electric forest up in michigan uh the upper peninsula i think it would do really well up there too uh so yeah just a crazy idea we had because we all really wanted a sauna and, <laughs> and now we you don't have own a sauna house. bus and you're about to make money on it that's like Hopefully. And if I don't make money on it, at least I'll be able to sit in the sauna and relax on the fact that I've wasted so much money. <laughs> See, exactly. That's what that's what our generation does. We just we relax about our financial um, irresponsibility. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> can't 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 stress over it. All right. I I've walked through a snow apocalypse in order to buy a can of beans. I know what's up. <laughs> He's like, I've been through enough. I deserve this. sauna. <laughs> I deserve it. I'm from Gary. All right, I lived through the murder capital of the two, I don't know, 90s. I was shook when I thought you were, or when I found out you were from Gary. I thought you were like from New York or something. That's really cool. I don't know, just that's just like how you carry yourself and how the and like the vibe you give off. I was like, oh, he's from like New York or somewhere. Wow, that's probably that's I don't. Right. People can't see it. I'm smiling really big. It's a really <laughs> big compliment. I guess I've always secretly want to be from New York. So here's New York. But yeah, when I that was the vibe when I first met you. I was like, why did he come? Like from there to Indiana. See, this dude on? <laughs> coming from Gary to Indianapolis makes ten times more sense. It's yes, like <laughs> definitely so. It's like we gotta get out. All right, so I also want to touch base on your YouTube channel, The Normies. It is the second largest YouTube channel in the state. That is a very big accomplishment, especially now in current times with social media and just the terrible censorship and how much it is limiting content creators. So yeah, tell us about The Normies and how it came to be. Um, and how you got it to where it is now. Uh, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Nuisance88 from the Normies. All of my homies are Normies. Shout out, Normies Gang. We're a reaction channel. Um, I had to put on my, my YouTube hypeness for that. It wasn't too hype. I don't want to no, yell yeah, in here. <laughs> no, we have 570,000 subscribers. It is an absolute blessing. Uh, how it started was, is I met my buddy, uh, Serge, in college. Um, secretly, I wanted to start the uh, film club or the like video making club in school. And when I went to go do all that, I found out that some younger kid than me in school had already done it. And it was Surge. I was like, dang, well, whatever, <laughs> I'll go join it. And so I uh, was like, oh, this is cool. And like we became friends and we hung out a few times. And then uh, through the years, I'd see him like off and on. Like I, like he'd always be at like uh, every time I went out, I would happen to just bump into him. So we kind of stayed connected. And then in 2015, I had tried to start a couple of different YouTube channels. Oh, that's the other thing too is that I have tried to launch one, two, maybe three to four different YouTube channels. Right? Like I just kept trying when right. in my free time. Just be, so the rule is, is just because you did something and it didn't work out, don't mean stop it. If you've got passion for it, keep doing it. I know that that's hard to do. It might take you a long time, but that doesn't matter. Like as long as you feel fulfilled, keep doing it. As long as it's not hurting you, whatever. So 
I was about to start another YouTube channel. I had some friends, we were doing some sketch comedy kind of stuff and it didn't really pan out. And I was like, dang. So I was thinking about what my next idea was gonna be. Cause um, I guess the other benefit of being as broke as I was, was that I only had one job and they didn't give me a lot of hours. So I had a bunch of free time and I had like a bunch of roommates. So my roommates were That's all funny dudes. I'm in now, it's like my job cut my hours majorly. And I'm like, you know what? Instead of trying to like pick up all these shit like I'm really would, I'm just gonna use it to my advantage. Yeah, if you got a little bit, if you creativity. can. And we got, I had roommates too, and they were all, we all, had, we, I, we were splitting like a, a seven hundred dollar rent between three people, so. It's actually not bad. Right, it's not bad, and it was sustainable. And my roommates were all funny, so I kept being like, man, like TikTok was like, or Vine was big at the time, and I was like, man, we, we oh, should I do something. Vine. We should do something. And then I was getting ready to start to do something, and my buddy Surge, he had posted something where he, so he posted a skit where he was making fun of the Fine Bros because they were trying to capitalize on the word React, and I actually thought it was the Fine Bros I when I saw it. That. And I was like, oh man, this is funny. And then I was like, oh, this isn't even the Fine Bros. You just got <laughs> two friends that look like them. So I hit Surge up. I was like, bro, I saw the thing you did on YouTube. Like, it's funny. Like, if you ever need any help, let me know. And he was like, well, actually, he explains the concept of reactions to me. And I'm like, that sounds stupid. I don't like it. But if you want help on those skits, dude, I'll come through. <laughs> so I started doing some of the reactions with them to kind of get a taste for it because they wanted more people. We're watching Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones. And, um,. We just kind of started from there and we were doing skits too with every episode and we we're only doing the skits because we all went to film school and we wanted to be filmmakers which means right. that we want to make and create stuff so we're creating these skits too which is a little more involved in the reactions and they're fun and it, we'll watch an episode and like joke about it at the end and make jokes and then we're like let's shoot that let's shoot that and let's do that so they got featured on MTV and they were blowing up. Like, oh, you guys were on MTV? Yeah, this was I think it was before I got started. MTV like reached out to them and was like, hey, you guys reacted to something on The Walking Dead and it was like hilarious. Can we use like a clip of it? And they did oh, it. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, dang, okay. So I had already been around before that, but I wasn't on that reaction. And then my wife, or she was my girlfriend at the time, she uh, had read all of the Game of Thrones books and she was European. And I didn't know this at the time, but this made a ton of sense to add it to the channel because all of my friends on the channel were um, either Arab or Indian. Some right. were born in Bangladesh, born in India. Like we kind of had this really diverse group and we didn't think about it of, oh, we're setting up the most diverse reaction group of all time. It was just like, these are my friends from college. Yeah, we're these are their friends. Thing. Yeah, we're just all kind of hanging out, right? Like yeah. that's just, it's who we are. And then Marquetta brings a completely different perspective, this European perspective from a country that was formerly communist, that was formerly under Russian rule. She's got a lot of different insight and the way she approaches the world is vastly different from everybody else. Just like the way I'm from Gary, I approach the world vastly different from anyone else right. on the couch. And because of that, we're kind of able to get these really interesting conversations and these really interesting talking points and these really interesting perspectives from everybody. And it's great. We don't always agree or see eye to eye, but it makes a ton of sense. And so we start watching more TV and then it starts getting really popular. We start a Patreon and it starts getting really popular. At one point in time, we're number 20 on Patreon. Patreon reaches out to us and they're like, you guys are cool. We're like what you're doing and just all of this. And we really kind of start to create this community and then the fans, oh my God, we're like touching people and like What's being in their lives. Called? Like, do you have like a name for your fans? So we just call our fans the normies as well. Our okay. like slogan is all of our homies are normies because Really, we want anybody to feel like they're on the couch with us. Right. Like, you're able to sit here and chill and, like, watch a show with us. And then we have a thing, a convention called NormieCon, where people come to Indiana you have your own and hang out with us. Yeah. That's amazing. I think we're going to have 50 people this year. It's going to be the biggest I that we've had. I want to go. Come on down. Hang out. And you're going to meet a bunch of cool people in the community. And yes, you're going to, next thing you know, you're going to be on Discord. <laughs> come to NormieCon. Follow the Normies on YouTube. Become a part of the community. But the community is great. And, like... 
people started sending us gifts and stuff and I didn't understand reactions at the time but once I started to see the impact that we had on people right. people like you helped us get over these dark times and I was like I've used YouTube to get through my depression and all this and that and I was like this is really cool and we're really affecting these people we got to go to someone's wedding uh, we've become friends with our fans that's amazing like actual friends like um, like close friends like things that we wouldn't have imagined would have been possible if you'd have told me that any of that was going to happen I wouldn't have thought so but it's amazing and we just came back from LA. We did a collaboration with another YouTube channel. We're gonna be at all these conventions and it's really a blessing. It's nothing that I would have thought was gonna happen at the time. I was just always like, well, we'll do YouTube and if it falls off, then you know, I will have done yeah. it for a while. But now I'm at a point where I'm a business owner and I'm a YouTube influencer. And if all of that goes away, my resume is gonna say I did nothing for six years. <laughs> I don't even make like we don't edit the videos anymore or anything like that. So all of the skills that I have, I would have to rehome. Like if YouTube stopped working tomorrow and I had to write a resume, I'd be like, I got really good at watching TV and commenting on it. <laughs> for I mean, no, five you years. can still have useful stuff like you like you. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'll figure it out. But I have at the moment like it's you it's one of interview my interview skills. Yeah, you have. Um, I don't know. Like you build a YouTube channel, bro. You can still have stuff. Yeah, I'll be a, a talking head. Uh, Not speak, a talking head. I, I can do it. I, I I'll put on a suit. I got political opinions. Like those green screen suits. <laughs> yes, with a tie. Uh, speaking of which, this is actually a topic in a song that I recently recorded with uh, a fan slash friend named Vessel Poaman. He's British. He reached out in 2020. He was like, "Hey, uh, give me some beats," and I was like, "Got you." And then we did some songs together, and then we ended up. Uh, he had a song produced and asked me to be on it. It's called Loose Ends by Vessel Portamon. Portamon. I like that he's British because I secretly want to be British. But Man, me too. Right? You want the accent, right? Did you have a British, a British obsession in high school? Uh, no. I no, I didn't. I've just always secretly wanted to be British. I think it's like Harry Potter and like Idris Elba. Like, I don't know. All that stuff makes me want to be British. I'm very cliche. I loved One Direction, and that's when my British um, obsession began oh, because of One British. Direction. Can you do a terrible British accent? Should I try right now? Yeah, please. I don't, I'm like on the spot right now. Okay, hold on. I want to really try. Okay, okay hold on. go I'm for gonna, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to like muster it from my soul. Okay. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, my, I'm British. I do a that's, terrible British that's accent. That's more like Australian. Uh, um, uh, the Oi, mate, that's Australian. Oi, my, I always thought it's Cockney. Uh, how about, uh, I would like a bottle of water. A bottle of water. <laughs> You're a wizard, Ari. We just lost like all of our like British fans. <laughs> Shoutouts to the two of you that left. You guys are like, I want to take this. <laughs> They're insulting the crown. We like cancel the corner cast <laughs> in England. Right, darn. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Wanted to be British. I guess that's where we're at now in the conversation. <laughs> so where can our listeners um, follow you and the normies? Like where? Like social media? Plug all of it. Anything you're. Okay. Part okay. Of. So if you want to follow me as an individual human person, uh, I post most of my film photography stuff and my music on my Instagram, which is Nuisance88, N-E-W-C-E-N-T-S-8-8. I came up with the nickname Nuisance before spell check was a regular thing, so I didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> That's how old that name is. And I always thought your name was Nuisance. I just realized Nuisance? No. that I was mispronouncing it. <laughs> Nuisance. Yep. Because I don't uh, I didn't know how to spell it at the time. So I was like, whatever. This was like junior high. Um, so, yeah, Nuisance 88. Uh, you can catch that on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Music. 
Uh, in fact, there's different music on Spotify and and uh, Apple Music than there is on SoundCloud, so you'll be able to get a delineation of different kinds of music. Okay, we love variety. Yep, and then uh, The Normies is just T-H-E-N-O-R-M-I-E-S. The Normies is on YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. We will not be hard to find. Um, check out our skits. It's my job at The Normies to make skits. I'm the chief of creative content. Uh, check out our reactions, too. Mike, turns out that that's something you're into. And then The Sauna Bus, if you just look for Sauna Bus Indie on Instagram, we don't have a lot going on yet because the bus is still being built, but that's it. Still a work in progress. Still a work in progress. Uh, should be done sometime soon, sometime in the next uh, season. When it's still kind of cold out and you want to come get a nice sauna on, it's going to be nice. All right. So if you want to follow um, the Corner Cast and keep a tabs on our episodes, we are available on, as of right now, Spotify. Also, follow us on social media at Cornerstone Center of the Arts on Instagram and Facebook to keep up Cornerstone and all local events we have. Yeah, thank you again, Chris, for being on the show. You were a lovely guest to have. Thank you for having me. What about Awkward Analog? Where can we follow Awkward Analog? Oh, yeah, I guess I should plug myself. Plug yourself. Self-plug. Woo! Yeah, if you want to see my very amateur and low-quality film photos, you you could find me on Instagram at Awkward Analog. How do I forgot how to spell awkward? Okay, it's A-W-K-W-A-R-D. And then analog. I don't know. Y'all just Google it. And figure out yep. how to spell it. I'm not smart. I can't <laughs> don't spell ask it right me. Now. Yeah. Because I'm I'm bad at spelling. All right. And thank you, you have, for having me. Yes. Thank fun. you for being here. You were such an inspiration to have on the show. I knew that you would be a great guest to have because you've done so much, um, and it's been really motivational and great to speak with you and hear your stories of how you got where you are today. Thank you. It feels good because I kind of felt like I just rambled for an hour. I've drank a bunch of coffee. I'm all jittery, so I don't even know. I feel that. Well, Um, bye, Internet. Okay, yep, bye. Hey, this is John with another episode of The Cornercast, and we have reached the Meet the Staff segment. We have a special guest today. His name is Rob Jordan. He is the Vice President of Operations for Cornerstone Center for the Arts. How you doing today, Rob? I'm doing well, thanks. Good to hear. Um, it's a pretty gloomy day out there, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's uh, The weather's still terrible. It's spring in Indiana, so yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I thought that we had seen the last of the, the gloomy days, but and I guess not. Hopefully it'll be some, some warmth coming up in the next couple of weeks or something. Yeah, I think we're gonna get some snow still, yeah. so <laughs> I'm ready for that to go away. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to get into your origins with Cornerstone. Uh, you've been here since its inception as an art center. Uh, the art center started here in about 2000. Uh, it was formed by uh, Judy Barnes and Beth Turcott. Uh, mm-hmm. They were the driving forces to get the uh, Muncie Center for the Arts started here. And they moved into the building. And uh, my wife was actually running the uh, colonnade room on the first floor and the auditorium on the first floor. And their uh, custodian slash janitor kind of up and left on him and at the time I was working at the Roberts Hotel and she asked me to come over and take a look at things and uh, talk to Forrest Craig the executive director at the time and uh, kind of thought it might be a really good opportunity for me to uh, work in a big building like this and kind of be in charge of stuff. And how long ago was that? Uh, that was in 2001. Okay so that's been a long time you've been here quite some time. Yeah. Uh, now I recognize the name that you mentioned Judy Barnes, because our Memorial Art Gallery on the second floor is named after her. Uh, that was her idea to, to start Cornerstone and to start that gallery? 
the actual Cornerstone uh, uh, was not an entity when she started it. It was Muncie Center for the Arts okay. uh, when her and Beth Turcott started it. And uh, their idea was to uh, give the communities that were underserved here in Muncie a chance to uh, be exposed to the arts. Right. Uh, through scholarships and just classes and individual lessons, things like that. Uh, they just saw a big need for it here. I think it still exists. And so I think our, our niche here in the community is, is uh, we're fulfilling that. And, and it feels pretty good to do stuff like that. You know, with COVID and everything that happened, we kind of got away from it a little bit. But we're, we're striving to get back to that. Um, and the other component is with the facility that we've got, we also do a lot of events here, uh, right. different kinds of events. Now you also, you still are the the kind of the the big man on campus when it comes to events. But uh, before you became the vice president of operations, was that was your title more related to the event staff? Yeah, well, it was director of facilities. Okay. So we actually had events people before, um, and then of course with COVID, we kind of quit doing events. So uh, some people kind of left, and we. You know, we're kind of in a lull there for a while, but uh, once the event started again, we needed somebody in charge, and so I went ahead and, and took that over, uh, mm -hmm. learned some of the ropes from my wife back in the day when she was running the colonnade room. So, um, and I've got a staff now. Uh, uh, Kylie Haslam and Cheney Youngblood are both on staff for the events department, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, both great workers, and uh, I'd like to say friends of mine. I get along with them very well. Uh, very helpful and uh, informative when it comes to... Uh, what needs to be done around the building here. Um, now you said the colonnade room, was that like the main rental area of Cornerstone when it, when it first started or? It was originally, yeah, the, the colonnade room and the uh, auditorium were the two main rental spaces. The rest of the uh, rooms up uh, here on the upper floors were mainly for classes and programming. Oh, uh, the Masons didn't move out till about six years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And so we did not have access to the third floor and the third floor mezzanine. Okay. Uh, once we got access to those rooms, we started to rent those out as well for meetings and receptions and actual weddings and things like that. Right. Now, I'd hate to backtrack, but uh, I did want to men mention uh, Mrs. Barnes again. I was just curious to know if she was uh, if she passed before uh, corner before she left Cornerstone or she left Cornerstone first. She actually was always involved at the board level okay. with Cornerstone. And uh, once she uh, got ill, uh, she kind of backed off it a little bit. I see. Um, and the reason we formed the gallery in her honor was uh, for the donation that she had left. We wanted to do something significant with right. some of the money that she had left. So we thought that that would be something that she would really be uh, excited about and proud of to have her name associated with something that has a, a different local artist every month right. and displays their artwork and, and hopefully they can sell a few pieces to help them uh, make some money because as we know, most artists struggle a little bit uh, yes. to make money in their, in their field and oftentimes have other jobs just to cover expenses. So yeah. we see this as a good, a good way for them to, to get exposed to the community and we try to purchase a piece uh, from each display so that we can have more artwork up around the building. Nice. Uh, and I did want to mention that the artist of this month is Matthew Blanchfield for April, and his artwork is soon to be posted on cornerstonearts.org, and an interview will be actually, as of this recording right now, I already have an interview with him, so that's going to be on episode six of the Cornercast. Now, uh, in terms of events, what would you say is the most common event that takes place in Cornerstone? Probably wedding receptions. Um, we do a lot of them on both the second floor and the first floor in the colonnade room. 
very popular for that, um, mainly because of the character of the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only other spaces in town generally are, you know, kind of newer uh, construction and just glass and concrete. Kind of so, bland, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're with the character of this building, it really, I mean, some events don't even want to decorate very much uh, mm -hmm. just because they think the building pretty much says it all. Right. Now, um, in terms of <clears throat> live performances and music-related events, do you have a lot of those throughout the year? Uh, we have more now uh, since we have open mic night oh, that yeah. you had started. Open uh, mic night? <laughs> the open mic night is awesome. It's uh, the last Friday of each month, and it's starting to pick up a little traction. Mm -hmm. um, lo again, local artists. Um, and we do, uh, well, I should say you do everything from uh, prose to poetry to uh, full-on music bands and mm -hmm. single artists. Uh, all kinds of things uh, have been in there so far, and we're really looking forward to moving that to the next level. Yeah, I do want to send out an invitation via this podcast to any artists that are interested in uh, performing on a auditorium stage here at Cornerstone. You can contact me, jbennett at cornerstonearts.org. And I'll get back to you with uh, the details of uh, the open mic. It's a $5 entry fee, and you get 10 to f maybe 15 minutes of performance time, depending on how many people we have signing up at the time. And it's from 6 to 9, the last Friday of every month. So uh, actually, this month, we have a special guest, uh, Dylan Helsley. He's going to do a full set. To I, I don't know if he's going to start it off, but I think I might start doing that every month. But um, yeah. OK, now, as far as. I wanted to talk about Scaravania, the haunt. We're up here on the third floor at Cornerstone, and I want to know a little bit more about the history of that because I know a lot of people around town have participated in uh, the haunted house here at Cornerstone. Uh, when did that start, and uh, whose idea was it? Oh, gosh. Let me see. It started in, I believe it was uh, 2016, maybe, hmm. um, and it was a combination of ideas. Uh, Jeff Robinson had contact with Brian Blair uh, who ran Scarevania which was mm. uh, an attraction a haunted attraction out on Granville Avenue um, it was an outdoor attraction yeah. and so the weather played a huge role in whether his uh, haunt went or it didn't go mm -hmm. and so with the third floor mezzanine up here we didn't really use this space at all when we got it from the Masons so it kind of lent itself once uh, we got Brian over here and walked him through the space, he absolutely thought that we could do something like this with just uh, just a little work and, and a little money. Yeah. And so they, uh, him, him and his brother Dave uh, made some investment and uh, we started the haunt and it was uh, uh, an absolute success from the first year. Yeah. Uh, people loved coming here. We, we got actors and stuff. Um, there were a couple other ladies that helped us. Uh, Emily and Chelsea helped a lot with us recruiting the actors and, and uh, you know, the makeup and everything for them and getting them ready to, uh, to do their, their roles at, in the haunt. And uh, it ran really smooth. I, I think we, we really um, made uh, a decent amount of money and brought a lot of joy to people here uh, in Muncie with our haunt. So uh, COVID really shut it down and we were really upset that that happened, but it was just impossible to do something like that. Uh, type of an event with with COVID going on. Um, as far as getting back to it, we would love to. Uh, we're just not sure about staffing at this point. So we may start out slow with something like Scarol, um, which was our one day haunt that had a Christmas theme to it. And uh, it uh, benefited both Cornerstone and ARF in the past. Mm. So we may try something like that because it's a lot less uh, logistical uh, to do with that one just for a one day event. Nice. 
Now, um, throughout the years, what are some of the events that you can recall in your mind as being some of the, the most uh, memorable or the most exciting events that you played a role in? Um, a few of them, I would say, would be when we, uh, when uh, Rick Ziegler has the three trails uh, concerts here in Muncie. Mm -hmm. They typically happen at Cannon Commons, but we are the rain site for them. So we've had uh, artists like Bela Fleck here. Um, we've had John Schofield here. Um, just some really good uh, musicians that have graced our stage just because we're the rain date. And so those yeah. have been really, really cool events. Um, another thing that I can think of is we used to do the Sama Fest, which was uh, the Indian Culture Festival, mm -hmm. um, and that was really big uh, with the community and uh, a lot of bright colors and, and a lot of loud music, so it was really fun. Nice. Uh, those, those events were really fun to have. Now, over the years, how has your role kind of changed from when you started here till, till now? I, I'm sure that you got more and more responsibilities as time went by, but at one point you didn't have uh, a staff behind you like you do now as far as for support, did you? Uh, no, when I first started here, it was just myself and a couple other key people in, in upper positions. I basically was uh, taking care of all the restrooms and mowing the grass. <laughs> that was right. just what it needed to get by. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened. And, and uh, slowly as, as we progressed, uh, things got busier. Um, I needed to hire a couple people. I needed help with setups and teardowns on events. Uh, I needed help with just the, the rest of the building. And so I kind of morphed into the uh, director of facilities uh, for a while and started taking care of the, you know, all the maintenance on the building. Now, I didn't do any of the, a lot of the actual work. I would obviously line up contractors for electrical, HVAC, things like that. Mm. I see. So uh, I wanted to ask you about your personal pursuits. Uh, when you're not working at Cornerstone, uh, what, what do you like to fill up your spare time with doing? Do you have any, I know you're a big fan of music because we've talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, back in the 70s and 80s, went to a lot of concerts, uh, enjoyed a lot of uh, acts um, and just uh, all different kinds of music, mostly rock and roll, but mm -hmm. uh, but enjoyed numerous shows at, at Emmons. Uh, that was a, a prime place. I grew up in Connorsville, Indiana, so uh, Connorsville is situated right between Indianapolis, Dayton, and Cincinnati, so I right. got to see shows in all those venues um, all the time. So, yeah, music love music, love to see live music. Uh, that's why I'm very excited about open mic night. Um, also like to boat and go down on the lake. Uh, we have a lake place down in Brown County. Uh, so I go down there a lot. Uh, my parents are still there. So um, I enjoy that. Uh, when I first started here, I, I actually was uh, raced go-karts and that mm. took up a lot of my time. That was really fun. Uh, I was a member of SICA, which is the Central Indiana Karting Association for a while. Um, but then I got married and, you know, <laughs> money uh, changes direction yes. when you get married. So I yes. uh, didn't have the money to spend on that ha hobby. So kind of right. kind of switched gears a little bit. But, uh, yeah, enjoy helping my wife with our garden uh, back, too. I enjoy that. I enjoy cars, too, as well. Um, got a couple cars that I'm trying to, to restore. So things what, like that. Got a lot of things to, to take up my time. What kind of cars? I got a 38 Lincoln Zephyr, which nice. is a pretty cool old car. It's got the suicide doors on it, big mm -hmm. four-door car. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think uh, Art Deco in the cars, that's that's what this kind of looks like, all swoopy and stuff. Nice. And then I got an 86 uh, Mazda RX-7, which is uh, the bane of my parents and my wife. They are 
really want me to get rid of that car, but you know, I've had it for so long now, there's no way. Why do they want you to get rid of it? Well, it's just, I, I haven't had time to put into it, and it's just kind of an eyesore sitting there oh, under, under a tarp right now. So, like, I'm going to get to it eventually. Yeah, I'm going to get to it eventually, but I'm so busy with the garden for my wife that I'm going to have to carve some time out from her. Right, right. <laughs> I did want to ask you uh, if you had any special message for the listeners out there about Cornerstone. And if you could, like, give a pitch to, to uh, prospective uh, students or, or people that would be interested but don't really know what it's all about. Yeah, I would just say that uh, the first thing that I would love people to do is just to come and see our facility. I think uh, the facility itself speaks volumes of, of kind of what we do here and, and mm -hmm. the environment that we've got here. Uh, we've got so many talented uh, teaching artists here um, and just about something that uh, – for everyone, mm -hmm. I think you could you could find uh, whether it's painting, drawing, ceramics, uh, digital art, um, dance. Yes, a lot of dance. Uh, we have uh, several dance programs that have been going for quite a few years now, and, mm -hmm. and they're all very well attended. And I, I think that that would be my biggest thing. I mean, I I love to get people in the building that have never been here before, and they live in Muncie. They're absolutely shocked. Yeah. Uh, they are very surprised that something of this magnitude is in Muncie, Indiana, because our, our facility is just fabulous. It's kind of hidden in plain sight because anyone that travels downtown, you can't you can't miss it. But once you step inside of it and you see the the uh, the architecture and the and the scope of it from the inside, it's just a different experience. So. It is. It is. It's, yeah. It just doesn't look like it matches with Muncie. Indiana and that's no slam on Muncie right it's just uh, surprising that something this grand is is here in town and I just wish more and more people would would get the hint and and come and just see the place I mean it, it's so fascinating all the nooks and crannies and and just beautiful architecture and and murals and you know things like that we and uh it's just a really unique place, I think. Huge, giant murals of biblical scenes in some of these rooms that are breathtaking. I've, I've surprised a lot of people by taking them on a quick tour up here on the third floor, and uh, they were uh, amazed by those murals yeah. in particular. And uh, 520 East Main, that's where it is. Yeah. Come through. Yeah, come through, check us out. If nothing else, we have open houses every once in a while. Um, gosh, come to open mic night. Uh, you know, yep. five bucks, you get to come in, you get to see a bunch of talent. And then you're welcome to kind of walk around and, and look around mm -hmm. the building, check out the Judy Barnes uh, Memorial Gallery. Second uh, floor. Second floor, always an awesome display. Uh, Matt right now, his his art's up there, very colorful, very bright, vivid stuff, super nice. Yeah, I'm into uh, a lot of his artwork. I told him I like the fantasy stuff he does with the dragons and unicorns and stuff. I think that's really, really cool. I like, I like fantasy stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, do you have any final words for our listeners out there? Uh, no, just support the arts. Um, that's my main my main push on this is is uh, you know support your local artists, uh, support the local art scene. Uh, I know we have First Thursday coming up, so that's mm -hmm. very exciting. Um, we always try to get people over here to the, to see our gallery, which is new for each First Thursday. That's eight p.m. And yes, yeah, and they'll it be starts at eight or I think it starts six, around six. Five. Yeah. It's in the it's in the evening. <laughs> yeah, it's in the evening, and there'll probably be some light refreshments and stuff. So first Thursday on the second floor. Yeah, yeah, and and we're we're just very excited to be a part of the art community here in Muncie. Definitely. Well, thanks for this uh, time with you, sir. And I know you're busy, so we'll let you get back to work. Yep, anytime. And uh, I hope to come back. We can talk about some other stuff. Cornerstone Center for the Arts offers opportunities for creative expression for all through community and rental spaces in a historic setting. 
Thousands of area residents attend events, wedding and civic events, in addition to taking classes in art, dance, and music. Cornerstone is home to the Muncie Symphony Orchestra, the Masterworks Chorale, the East Central Chamber Orchestra, America's Hometown Band, and the Bridge Church. For additional information, go to cornerstonearts.org or call 765-281-9503.